You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. So identity, it's such a loaded word now. It didn't used to be, but it is. I mean, it's not a week that maybe doesn't go by where somebody might talk about identifying as something or other. And, and honestly, things that, uh, to be honest, 10 years ago, I didn't even realize would be happening or happening in our culture and in our society as so many people are so lost in trying to figure out who they are. Identity is such an important word. And so as we walk through the book of Ephesians, we recognize that this is an identity book. The first three chapters of this book um, are just really the Holy Spirit unpackaging for us what it looks like to be in Christ. As a, now as a believer in Jesus, as a Christ follower, this is who you are. And then the last three chapters, because of who you are, this is what it looks like and how you should live. We've been putting up, maybe you haven't even noticed, but we've kept it up here and I'm doing that on purpose. But like so often the identities we have on the right side, the right mirror, um, we just do this. We label ourselves so easily and we actually kind of look for those things. We, we run to, to little groups that we can identify, labels we can have. But as we walk through the book of Ephesians on the left mirror, we're starting to understand that the labels that we should have, um, not that I can't be a father or parent or understand my identity in those ways or a hard worker or kind, but overimposed over those things are the core identities of what it means to be a, a, a child of God. My hope is that at the end of this series, We're going to put this left mirror out in the lobby, and I'm going to ask you to, we all have cameras now, right? We all have phones, to just walk up and take a picture of that mirror um, for your camera roll. My hope is that it's something that maybe you look at, it sticks in your camera roll, that it reminds you that maybe sometimes you need to just, you know, go back, scroll back to that picture and see I'm wanted, I'm valuable, I'm connected, I'm all these things, I'm empowered. And, and, and as we continue to understand our identity in Christ. So today we jump into chapter five of Ephesians. I want to start it this way. Have you ever heard the phrase, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery? You ever heard that? Like, I take comfort in that when I get teased. When people mock me, I just think, well, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I should be flattered that they're, they're, they're teasing me. You know, uh, I think some of the funniest things in the world are when people learn how to imitate somebody else, right? There's this popular uh, mimic in our culture, Frank Caliendo. If you're into sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the guy can, can, can mock or mimic, uh, you know, John Madden, Charles Barkley, all these figures. And it's hilarious to watch somebody else mimic another person, right? If I'm watching John Madden, I'm not really laughing, But if I'm watching Frank Caliendo mock John Madden, I'm in tears. You know what I'm talking about? 
Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And, and, and now if you're a parent, you understand this, right? <laughs> Man, we are right in the middle of all this. How many times have I watched my kids do something and I've glanced at my wife and we both had that knowing look. Oh my goodness, that is just like you. <laughs> right? And honestly, there's times when my kids do something that's just like me. I, I just well up with this sense of like, I just, I don't know. It's so awesome. And then there's other times. And I think, oh no, I really need to figure this out for them because that's just like me and I don't want them to be that way, right? You know what I'm talking about? I'm thinking of my kids right now, all those things, but Ephesians chapter five, verse one starts this way. Follow God's example. That word that there is in this, this little phrase, follow God's example, is imitate God. It's the word that we use now for mimic. Now again, obviously, this, this, the context of this is we are not able to mimic God in those, those attributes of God that belong only to him, the eternally existent one, right? I mean, I, I, I can't be like God in immutability because I change and he doesn't. I can't expect to be like God in omnipresence. I'm bound by time and space. This is not saying be like God in omnipotence and be all powerful and become all powerful. That's just not gonna happen, right? It's not God expecting us to all of a sudden become omniscient with all knowledge and wisdom. Although sometimes I thought my mom was. <laughs> Thighs in the back of her head, right? It's impossible. What is he trying to say? He's calling us to, to act like God in the specific area of what he's been unpackaging in the last part of chapter four, and now he's gonna continue on in chapter five. But what I want you to understand as we begin to understand what it means to mimic God, how God wants us to mimic him, follow his example, that he throws in this little phrase, as dearly loved children. Did you notice he said, he doesn't say, follow God's example and become dearly loved children. He says, follow God's example as dearly loved children. And this is so important for us to continue to grab a hold of that in this understanding of our, I'm using that word understanding a lot today, aren't I? Penalize me if I say it again. I hate using words over and over, but like he wants us, oh, now I'm gonna be thinking about it. <laughs> oh, I've just added to my load today. No, he wants us to get, there you go, that out of our, our standing as loved children of God, you know, chapter one, two, and three, that then the way that we live begins to take form. It's this idea of God not being a, 
you do, 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 do. I expect, 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 expect. No, it's as my children, I am inviting you to the life that I have for you. And because you are now secure in my love and you know the reality of what it means to be forgiven, to be given new life, to being restored and healed and renewed from the brokenness that you've had, it only makes sense that out of the love that you've received, that then you would just want to live in that love, right? Man, we've messed this up so much in the church and we've made God a do, 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 do. God expect, expect, expect. Well, God is simply inviting us to the best possible life we can have that's based out of the love that he's shared into our life. As dearly beloved children. And here's what he said. Walk in the way of love. Now, we're gonna talk about three things to walk in today. Walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. How does it look, what does it look like now that I'm in Christ? How then do I live? These areas of my life, how do, how do I live my life in these areas of love, light, and wisdom as a believer in Jesus Christ? He says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, he's saying, listen, as Christ showed love, follow that way of love. Walk in that love. Allow yourself to be loved people who love people, right? I've thought about this a lot. I, I had an opportunity in my 20s to, to be a high school varsity coach. Um, it was fun, and we were good. We were successful, and I realized quickly, though, that the objective in basketball is to bring together a collection of individuals to, 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 to win. And you know what I mean, like winning's not everything, but <laughs> it's the only thing. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> right? But you're blending these different personalities and skills and, and gifts and talents to try to do your best to execute, to play the game well, right? To succeed. And I realized quickly, and obviously my, my role as a pastor also played into this, that understanding each individual player was important and making that person feel and know how much I cared about them and how much I wanted them to succeed made all the difference. That when they got, that sometimes if I had to coach them up a little bit, if I saw where they had just stopped trying their best, or they were not using their mind in a certain way, that the foundation of how we, we began to become a successful team was built on the sense that they trusted and loved me and I loved them. And they knew that I had their best in mind. Like I was trying to make them the best player they could be. There was no other objective. It wasn't my deal. It wasn't my ego. It was about them, making them better. Better as people first, but then better as players. And it was amazing how when they captured that, especially I remember one kid who was six, seven, had all the talent in the world, but I mean, he was just selfish. 
right? And he, he had this image of himself. And for a year, it was just like a battle of wills. Like, no, this is how you play basketball, especially with your size and skill. And then to watch him begin to trust me because he saw how much I cared about him, it all clicked. And what he's saying here is, because of who you are in Christ, the only thing that makes sense is to see that what God calls us to is the best way because he loves us so much and only wants the best for us, right? He's saying here is they are to be like God by loving the way God loved. And foundational to God's love is this idea of forgiveness that he has just talked about and Brad talked about last week in chapter four. We are called to mimic God, to pattern our lives in God, after God, in the realm of sacrificial giving of ourselves to others. In fact, look at this phrase. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. If you look at the book of Leviticus, the, the first three chapters, the, these sacrifices are laid out. They were supposed to do the, the burn offering, the meal offering, the peace offering. They were always offering these things to God in the temple. And when they did these things, it offered up this fragrance that became associated with who God was and this place where God dwelt. And now Paul is saying, listen, we're done with that stuff. It's actually the life you live that gives off the fragrance of God into this world. The way you live makes people think about who God is. Again, I would remind you that so much of, of our culture has, has, has misunderstood a little bit. We've become, we've made Christianity and morality the same thing. And, and no doubt there, the, the, the Christian life is, is full of morality, uh, but, but it's beyond reality or it's beyond morality. It's calling us to a life that is better than just having high character. It's a life that is the life of Jesus, of sacrificial love, of doing things that don't make sense for the good of others. It's not focused on making sure that I become this high character person and that's it. I've reached, the, I've reached my goal. Look at me, I'm a trophy. No, it's like you are absolutely developing the best character possible, but you're also taking on this life of love that understands that anything God is doing in me is actually for the purpose of enhancing those around me, right? Amen. We love God and we love others. That's the purpose of life. I mean, think about, this is the foundation of everything in your Christian life. Paul has prayed just a few chapters ago to be rooted and grounded in love. The Apostle Paul in Romans 13 says, love is the fulfilling of the whole law. It was Peter in his epistle that wrote, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Walk in love. Walk is this, uh, if you look it up in the, in the Greek definition of this, it's to, to make one's way, to regulate one's life, to conduct one's self. Walk in love. I mean, he's used this phrase, walk. Chapter two, you used to walk this way. In chapter four, I ask you to walk worthy. Chapter four, you used to walk in the vanity of your mind and in the way of the world. And, and he's begun to say, but I'm calling you to walk in this way. 
I mean, chapter four, as Brad shared last week, there's some things that we begin to understand about what it means to walk in love, what it looks like to walk in love. In fact, if you think about the 10 commandments, the last six commandments are a template for what it looks for us to live in love. I mean, the first four are focused on our relationship with God. The last six are focused on our relationship to others. This walking in love is a core component of what it means to be a Christ follower. I mean, he's talked about, uh, you know, what Brad talked about last week, lying, um, uh, uh, anger, stealing, your, your language, your speech, being tenderhearted, being forgiven. And now he's gonna switch us up to show us a crucial way in these chapters that love is shown. It's gonna get a little quiet in here in a minute, and that's okay. Because what Paul does is he's like, I want you to walk in love. And this is one of the primary ways that you understand how a community loves one another. I, I wanna, first of all, take your uh, attention to 2 Peter chapter one. Would you listen to these words? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Have you read that? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through him you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Can we understand that what God calls us to is a life that is possible? He can enable us, equip us by the power of the Spirit working in us to be able to escape, escape the corruption of the world, the lust and the desires that exist in the world. I'm, I'm using this as a baseline for what we're about ready to walk into. In fact, if there's anything that you grab this morning, I hope that you will see this. It's Ignatius of Loyola who said this, sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Can you just sit on that for a minute? Sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. See, this is what happens. God designs perfectly. Satan counterfeits it. The deception that exists in the world is God has this design and this plan. He wants the deepest happiness for us, the deepest fulfillment, the deepest uh, uh, living into this abundant life he has. And yet the course of this fallen world and the enemy of our soul is always taking the good things of God and twisting them, perverting them and counterfeiting them. And we are called to understand that in this renewing, restoring plan and purpose of God, that we acknowledge and surrender ourselves completely to the reality that God's will, God's word, God's plan is exactly what will bring about my deepest fulfillment and happiness. And so with that in mind, Let's read what it looks like to walk in the way of love. 
But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talking, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So walk in the way of love, And the first exhibit A he uses as he's telling us how to walk in the way of love has to do with how we treat our sexuality. That's going to get quiet, is it not? Can we just have this talk for a minute? In my notes, I have it in red letters, sex discussion. And now a bunch of you are squirming and looking at the clock. Trust me, you just be all right. I want to make some comments. The church has really, really struggled with this. Really struggled. We've really miscommunicated and misunderstood this so often. Now, it's understandable, okay? Before I throw the church under the bus, uh, this is a powerful and pervasive part of our life. It always has been, it always will be. And because it's so powerful and pervasive, we have overreacted to its misuse. And we've done a poor job of understanding this reality of human sexuality. We have treated it as if it's something to be looked at with suspicion. We have allowed the fallen world's cheapening and misuse of it to make us not value its design and purpose. Really, our sexuality is sacred. It's beyond physical. It's more than just two animals fulfilling desire for a human being. It's a physical representation of deep communion, the blending of spirit and soul, the binding of hearts to create deeper companionship and connection. Are you with me? (laughs) It's a gift, a sacred gift from God. And he's saying that this sacred, powerful gift has obviously been one of the things that has been most misused in our fallen world. And because of that, we look at it and are like, wow, look at how much damage that can do and has done. And so often the church is reacting and it's like, we're just getting away from it. We don't talk about it. We're gonna make you think of it as a little bit dirty or uh, the things we don't talk about. Are you with me? And we've totally messed up. 
We should be the people that are saying, listen, God has given us the sacred gift. And that actually how we show the world how a community of people love one another is when we honor one another in our sexuality. That in a world that is misusing sexuality, <laughs> the kingdom of God is actually honoring it and out of it is finding life-giving design and purpose with it. This word sexuality here, immorality, is the word pornonia, which obviously we get our word for pornography, but it's all sexual sin, any kind of sexual sin. Anything other than the sexual relationship between a married man and a married woman is this kind of word. This is a warning for Christians to heed. Don't use other people to satisfy your sexual lustful agenda, especially with regard to human sexuality. I mean, all of these words honestly are pointing more to this. Even the greed here is mostly pointing toward being greedy when it comes to sexuality is not much as it is talking about money or possessions. The coarse gesture, the, the obscene talking, the foolish talk, the coarse joking, it's all pointing toward one of the ways that we show ourselves to be a community of love is when we honor through our words and actions, this gift of God in human sexuality. You think about what Paul said in Corinthians. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Actually, that was what some of you were. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. He later says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. See, the ramifications of this powerful component of our life affect our personality, it affects our mental condition, our emotional state. It is, it is the sin that is not outside the body. It's sacred, this gift from God. And when it's honored, it brings so much happiness and purpose. When it's misused, it's so destructive. And what is this way that shows a world how life-giving the church, the kingdom of God is, is when the people of God honor human sexuality. It's so Beautiful. Like, oh, that's the way it's supposed to work. Oh, that's the, what it looks like when it's used rightly. Oh, that's how. You see, in our culture, love and sex are so often associated. I mean, you understand our movies, our music, all of our things are, are pointing toward that they go together. And our culture has so misused sex and it has caused so much harm and it's distorted the way we even look at love. And yet the Christian community honors sex and it brings beauty and godly love. There, you okay with that? You can relax now. 
but seriously. Walk in the way of love. And this is the example he gives us as a community of people that love one another in this way. I mean, he's talking to people who used to worship at a temple and, and part of their ritual were sexual activity. It had been so cheapened in that day, it had no value anymore. It didn't matter who you shared that part of your life with. It was just part. Does that sound familiar? Kind of sounds like 21st century America, does it not? And what it is doing is destroying us, our idea of love, of value, of personhood, And he's saying, no, you be the people that show the way of love, especially in regard to how you treat your sexuality. In fact, he says this, verse six. He says, in fact, don't be partakers with them. For, um, he says this, sorry, verse six. For because of... um, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. He's warning us that especially in this area of sexuality, there were always going to be false teachings, false prophets, false premises about how we are supposed to live out our sexuality. And he's saying, listen, don't associate with anything that violates the word of God. Don't meddle in it. Don't accept it. Especially don't be people who say, I'm a Christian, and then participate in ungodly sexual behavior. You destroy the witness of Jesus Christ. Think about it for a minute. Would you think differently of me if you found out tomorrow that I was having an affair on my wife? Would I I still be your pastor next Sunday? No way. And I shouldn't be. Right? Because there is something so important about representing Jesus. It's easy for you to think about the pastor, right? Like, I I always use myself in this regard because it's like, oh, the pastor. Well, guess what? In all of our lives, if we dishonor this, we bring shame on the name of Jesus. And the world looking on is like, what? Come on, you say Jesus and you live in this way and it just, it doesn't make sense. It's not right. He says, don't have anything to do with that. He says, walk in light for once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light for the fruit of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He's saying that not only do you walk in love, but you walk in light. We used to sing this little song as a, as a, as a kindergartner in children's church. Hide your, uh, hide your candle under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. What this world desperately needs is for you and I, through the goodness of our life, the righteousness of our life, to expose and illuminate all that is wrong with this fallen world, to show people that there is something better than the dysfunction of a sinful society. 
Walk in light. (laughs) But hurrying on, I want to talk about walk in wisdom. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He encourages them to walk in wisdom. Now, if you remember the old King James redeeming the time for the days are evil, that's how I memorize this. But in this calling us to be very careful then how you live, not as unwise or as wise, making the most of ever opportunity, it's this use for time that is not chronos. There's two words for time in scripture and in the Greek language. There is chronos time. Chronos time is hours, minutes, seconds. Like we get that clock, chronos, right? He's saying, listen, you can think of time as in passing days and hours and minutes and seconds, but I'm calling you to look at time as an opportunity. He uses this word kairos. This word kairos is to see time as opportunity. Like, um, let me explain it like this. Um, It could be in this little phrase that comes like this. How much time before lunch? That's a chronos kind of thing, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? When it's 1135 and it's... uh, I got 25 more minutes of work and I need to, you know, I'm hungry. How much time before work? Or Kairos is the, is it time to have lunch? You see, there's a difference. And what he's trying to remind us is that as a believer, walking in wisdom is not just people who pass the time, the days, the hours, the seconds, and and kind of just pass time, but we look at time as opportunity to push back against the evil days that exist all around us, that because of what God has done in us and who we are as his children, and out of that as now the light of the world, you are the light of the world, walk as children of light, that actually our lives are the greatest, some of the greatest hope that a dying fallen world around us has. And instead of us just being focused on, well, I can't wait till I get to 30 or I can't wait till I get to 40 or I can't wait till I, I'm just going to pass the time till I get to retirement. Then I'm going to live. Like you understand that mindset. He's saying, don't live with that mindset with time. Look at time as opportunity. You have been given time. Now use the time. Time is the most valuable resource we have, right? Like my bank account has a lot less zeros than Bill Gates, right? I don't know if you knew that, but they, I'm telling you today, I'm just admitting. But guess what Bill Gates does not have more of than I do? the most valuable resource in the world, time. We all have the most valuable thing in equal number. And he's saying, instead of looking at time as invaluable and just trying to get to the next milestone or the next thing, or it's gonna be better later, or, you know, have you met those people that work, work, work for retirement and save and and miss their family's events to make more money and make more money and then they get to be 60 and then they're disabled? Like, what kind of, that happens all the time. Like, people... Jesus said, live in the present. 
be conscious of the future, but live in the present. And, and, and what Paul is saying is, listen, to walk in wisdom, to, to be someone who, as a child of God, I have this identity in Christ, how then shall I live, is to be wise. And being wise is to look at time as opportunity, not just hours, days, seconds, minutes. That as I have time, as a child of light, walking in the way of love, I have an opportunity to help people around me who are caught up in the dysfunction, the fallenness, the sinfulness of this world, and I have the opportunity to help them get out of that. This is what it means to live wise. To walk in the way of love is to look around and say, oh man, this stinks. This is dysfunctional. I hate the way the world looks. Oh, I can do something about it. Maybe I should speak up, speak out, serve here, come alongside this person. I should see that the time God has given me on this earth is so immensely valuable and it can be used to help bring about his kingdom into this world. Amen? And instead of waiting for retirement, why don't you and I this week look for opportunities? Walk and love out of that love that becomes light. And this light, as we understand what we can do, we walk in wisdom. And who we are becomes what we do. And we look around as people who have, are loving as Christ's love and showing light into a broken world. We see opportunities all around us to help, to guide, to be a part of healing, to be a part of the break of the chains of dysfunction addiction and hopelessness and mental instability that you and I have opportunity to help others. This is what it means to walk and mimic God's example. Father, would you challenge us as in this identity series as we've seen who we are, then what does it look like to live? or people that walk in love. And, and for whatever reason, you, you use the idea of human sexuality to help us understand love. I understand that because we've so messed up in our culture with love and sex, and it's so, and, it, and sex has been so mistreated and so misused, and it's such a, and yet the Christian community, when they honor this, it becomes a beautiful, shining light to the rest of the world, your design and your purpose, and what it means to love one another. We honor each other in this way. Lord, through living lives that are full of goodness and righteousness, we become light. That a sleeping world around us who is just lost in its, in its dysfunction and sin, we can help them awake, awaken. We can shine the light where there, is, where there is darkness and there is sleepiness and there is this haze, Lord, we can illuminate it. And Lord, 
Because that's who we are, we walk wisely. We seize the opportunities. We think of life as opportunity, not as just passing time. Help us to be people who redeem the time, who seize the opportunity to show a lost, hurting world your love. Lord, I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. I hope you have a great week as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.